Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, so glad you all decided to download and listen again. Uh, appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to our podcast and comment and review. Well, before I get an interview uh, today, just go over some basic updates. We really don't have much going on on the farm yet. We'll know if our pigs have settled um, here in the next week. Currently, right now, actually, as I'm recording this intro... Uh, the boys and I and Kelly, we're kind of hanging out around a campfire in Stockton Springs, Maine, of all places. So we're uh, taking some time away from the farm. Uh, so we're here just enjoying uh, this area of Maine, cooler weather. And uh, we are lo- overlooking Stockton Harbor, which is part of Penobscot Bay uh, on the coast of Maine. So we're going to enjoy some time up here, do some hiking in Acadia, and uh, visit some other farms, actually, while we're up here. But um, we'll stop there. We'll jump into our interview. Our interview is with uh, Gavin Donnell from Dinnertime Farms. And I think you guys will appreciate his conversation that we had. He has some uh, some just, just neat insight on, on how things work on his farm. So let's jump right in with what Gavin's got going on. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Um, I have another West Coaster on uh, on our list here for our interview today. So I'm going to welcome Gavin Donnell from Dinnertime Farms. And uh, Gavin is in Washington State. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Gavin. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, um, as I mentioned, so you're in Washington State. What uh, What area of Washington are you in? So we're in western Washington, uh, commonly known as the Puget Sound region of uh, Washington State. Okay, so that is, uh, that's a pretty moist area, isn't it? It is, yeah. We're well known for our, our rain here, um, and we would like for you to all know that um, even though there are pictures out there that show our summers are beautiful, it is quite rainy. We don't want you to move out here or anything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Got to keep the population control under, <laughs> under control there. That's right. <laughs> There's beautiful some, summers here actually that yeah. we put up with nine months of rain to have some uh some wonderful weather during the summertime okay so is that usually how that shakes out seasonally then yeah it does uh you know pretty pretty mild you know um nothing too much above 90 degrees this time of year and in the summer um but we just have to put up with a lot of drizzle um you know in the other month so i would assume that uh water for your livestock usually isn't an issue uh, yeah, very rarely. Um, you know, some parts of the state uh, is pretty dry, um, but but the western part of the state is, is pretty wet. So uh, more mud uh, is the issue than uh, than having water to supply the livestock. Sounds like us here in West Virginia. Mud is <laughs> one of our staples. If I could sell mud, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's um, let's dive into uh, to your setup here. So, uh, as we mentioned, Dinnertime Farm. What is um, if you had to describe your farm to somebody? How would you describe it? Well, we're uh, you know mainly uh, a pork farm. So we we generally just focus on raising pigs. 
um, and we raise them from wiener um, age to butcher size. Okay, so um, are you are you polyculture, monoculture? Do you have any other livestock on farm? We do have some sheep um, that we'll be eventually raising up for um, meat production, um, but you know they're really. They're not the, the focus of the farm. The focus of the farm is pork. Um, you know, we've got 10 acres out here, and not all of it is, um, you know, with pigs. So we use the sheep to kind of utilize the rest of that grass and, um, you know, try to make things uh, profitable on that side as well. Okay. So when you say uh, 10 acres of land, is that the uh, cumulative of the farm, or is that just what you have under fence, under pasture? Yeah, that's the cumulative. So that includes a uh, shop and barn and our house. Um you know, yard and all that stuff. So in, in pasture, we've got probably about six and a half um, acres, and then we've got another um, two and a half in, in some uh, forested uh, acreage. Okay. What's the topography like there? Is that uh, generally flat, rolling, mountainous? Uh, it'd uh, be gentle slope uh, is what we have. So um, not, not too bad, uh, decent enough for a water slide, but not too bad that you roll down the hill. Yeah, so you can probably uh, utilize uh, your full 10 acres if you need to then. Yes. Yeah, we can uh, do do a good chunk of it, um, you know, in some way with some livestock or um, we actually just had the field um, hayed. So, um, you know, right now where we don't have stuff on it, we did get some hay off of that. So we were able to do that as well. Okay, great. Well, um, let's talk about your pigs then. So um, uh, you're you're not a farrowing operation. So you're you're buying your your wieners and you're growing them out. So what are you what are you looking for? Do you have a specific breed that you handle? Do you just get whatever's available? Well, you know, I mean, it is tough. Um, you know, trying to especially if you zero in on a breed to be able to find what you need if you're um, if you're a decent size operation. Um, you know, it can be hard to find what you need and when you need it. So I don't really zero in on anything. I do try to get heritage um, breeds and, and crosses when possible. Um, I had a couple Hereford producers that were near nearby um, that have since gotten rid of their pigs. So um, I'm not able to get those as often. Um, so, you know, I really try to get what I can get, um, but I do try to focus on, on some type of heritage cross. Excellent. Okay, so... Um... Right, how far are you driving? How how far do you have to go to find your supply? Are you having them delivered? What What's your logistics there? Yeah, I do have to go um, and pick them up. Um, one one of the batches that I just got actually was real nice. Um, it was a neighbor, um, so I had to go less than a mile to pick them up. Hmm. Um, I wish I could have more of those <laughs> for sure. Um, otherwise, I'm driving an hour, hour and a half um, to pick up piglets. Yeah, okay. So you've yeah I've heard you say the word batch multiple times there. So it sounds to me like you're you're not just buying uh, feeders at one point or wieners at one point to raise out. Are you are you buying different groups of of wieners and and kind of rotating them through the pasture? Um, yeah, and I don't um, you know my setup's a little bit different. So I do um, what I call batch. Um, usually it ends up around seven um, pig um, pigs in each batch. And um, they each have a quarter acre paddock that um, has been um, planted um, either in grass. I've done turnips one year. So I had, um, um, that was even a little bit larger paddock. It was about a third of an acre of just turnip greens um, for the pigs. Um, and, and I do that because I can manage the expenses a little bit better. Um, I can sell the pigs a little bit easier because I pre-sell them. Um, and I can kind of keep track of all of that. Um, 
you know, and, and kind of really, I can really dial in on what breed of pigs is um, gaining the best um, in my area and selling the best or tasting the best, you know, all things that, that we as producers need to be understanding of, of in order to run a profitable uh, operation. Okay. So looking at the notes that, uh, that we uh, had, had gone over before we started recording, uh, you're, you're finishing at seven months and your buying wieners are probably around eight weeks, I guess. Correct. So uh, five months on uh, pasture, are, are they staying in that quarter acre paddock or are you rotating them through multiple paddocks? So you know, they do stay in that paddock. Um, and, and I found that, you know, I've got a one batch right now. They'll be going um, in September. So they're, um, they've got just a couple months left and there's still about half, half of it is in grass. Um, you know, we're not, even though we're providing forage for them, we know that they need, you know, all of us know that they need some type of grain in order to, you know, to gain that weight sure. in the amount of time that we need them to. Um, and so, you know, we still provide a free feed for them. So they have plenty of stuff to, um, to forage on, um, but they also get all of that that free feed that they need to. Yeah, and I was looking on your Facebook page. Uh, you actually had a video clip there recently that you posted of one of your pastures ready uh, to take the feeders on, had your porta hut, had your, your feeder set up. And that was a gorgeous pasture. Yeah, I'd kill to have a pasture like that. <laughs> so it really looked nice. So, yeah, that that was my question is, and it sounds like you're, you're talking about it, through that five-month period, uh, they're pretty rough on that. But I think in your video you even talked about you come back uh, off-season and you uh, kind of reset and reseed. Is that correct? Exactly. And that's, and that's the main thing. You know, we can leave the pigs on there and, and just leave it alone and kind of see what comes back. But that's not being very – you know, that's not being a good steward of the land um, either, you know, so we really want to reset it, uh, reseed it, you know, it gets to be fallow, um, you know, if I have pigs leaving in November, I'm not going to have pigs coming back, you know, between March and May, so that's, you know, five to seven months that it's going to be fallow that, that I can really put some work into that and make sure that it's good and ready for the next pigs. Um, it's also good for, for breaking the, the parasite cycle as well. I don't have pigs, um, you know, they're just on there for five months and then I don't have to worry about that. I've got the soil buildup from the fertilizer and from us seeding. And I've really found that it, it helps to break up the parasitic cycle, cycle as well. Yeah, that's going to be my next question. So, uh, so again, understanding where you are geographically, how, how hard of winters do you have? Do you have heavy freezes? Um, we do have, uh, have some, um, you know, we do get below freezing, but we don't have that real hard freeze. Um, and here's the, the other benefit of, of, of the operation that I run. I don't have to take pigs through the winter. So, um, you know, the last pig, uh, pig butcher date that I have is November 15th this year. And then I'm done with the pigs until the spring. Um, and since I don't have any sows or boars, I don't have to take care of anything through the winter. Yeah, so I can definitely see the benefit in that with, with not having to keep uh, breeding stock on and, and having a, a, a true winter like we have here. Uh, that you have a sacrificial area, you have uh, area of pasture or area around a barn or holding area that you're going to have to sacrifice, uh, then you get to skip all that. And like you said, that X amount of time that your land gets to lay fallow allows that parasite load to diminish. Um, so to the point of talking that when we're talking about parasites, so when you're getting your wieners, have they been wormed? Has there been any, are there any certain medical regimen you're looking for from your growers or do you take care of that once they're on farm? 
Yeah, I do want the. I, I do like to have an, an initial warming, um, you know, from the growers. Um, I don't do anything extra once I get them here, um, and I haven't had any issue. I think, um, you know, out of all the pigs that I've done, you know, over the past five six years, um, we've had one liver that we've had to throw out um, that showed any type of uh, parasitic load on it. Hmm. So I mean, that's great in six years if that's the only issue. Have Have you had any? Have you gotten? Any bad wieners from from anybody? Have you said, okay, I, I, I'm probably not going to be able to use that grower, that that provider again because he he really gave me a bad batch. Have you run into that yet? Or you know, I haven't. I've had some you know piglets that were probably smaller than I'd like to see at eight weeks. Um, you know, and that's probably just their um, you know might be a little skimpy on feed. Um, they might have weaned a little early. Um, but I've found that generally. You know, those pigs will catch up pretty quick once they get onto my feed, um, you know, and, and kind of get all that space to that they need as well. So um, I really haven't had a bad um, bad batch or anything like that, which I you know, probably should knock on wood and count myself lucky at this point. Sure. So if, if I'm doing my math right, you said you have, um, you do about six to eight pigs in a batch, and um, you're doing about... Uh, what was it? Uh, 22, 22 pigs you're finishing out, so you're doing roughly three, three to four batches there. Yeah, right now um, we're doing. We'll, we'll do three batches this year. Um, we'll do three batches next year, um, and then we're going to be setting up a, a more permanent um, area, um, and we're going to be able to increase to uh, to eight batches a year um, eventually. You know, so in three years it'll probably look like four or five batches, and then. Um, you know, going from there um, up to eight batches a year. Okay, and that that's about answered my next question. So, uh, just so uh, I'm clear and our listeners are clear, so you're you're thinking as you expand, you're going to be doing more quarter acre paddocks, not larger paddocks with more pigs. You're still going to be doing that's six correct. to eight batches. Okay. Yep, so, yep. So that'll still remain the quarter acre paddocks. It's it's really a a, a good system that I've found works well for me and um, you know for my operation. So I, and I, I can obviously speculate, but we'll let you say. So uh, with a six to eight in a batch, does that help? I assume with uh, managing customers uh, that are that are ready to buy, logistics, um, transport, all those type of things. I guess all the benefits are there because you're you're set up at that number. Yes. Yeah, so um, you know I, I know how many feeders. So I, I have two two whole feeders per paddock. Um, I know that's going to be pretty good for you know eight pigs. Um, they have one uh, about 60-gallon um, barrel for water, and I know, you know, that'll work for them. Um, you know, really where they're not running out of water, you know, every day, um, you know, that's going to be enough water for a few days, and it's going to be enough food for a few days. Um, and and that's kind of how I set it up. We make sure that the they're not fighting over the water or fighting over the food, um, you know, too much. So um, that's kind of the number that I came out that really worked out pretty well. And we do on-site slaughter here, um, and then they're taken to the butcher and the trailer. You know, generally they've got about ten hooks um, on the trailer, so they can they can do ten pigs. You know, it's interesting. I interviewed another person in Washington State, and they do the exact same thing as far as slaughter goes, and that just that impresses me. Obviously, we're, that's not something you cannot do in my state. You you have to deliver a live animal to the processor. Mm-hmm. So um, now, and and we're doing. If I was doing USDA. Um, you know, if I was selling cuts, mm-hmm. then I would have to do that as well. We don't have a, 
um, there's very few USDA inspected um, slaughter trucks um, that would be able to come to my location, and really they won't because it just doesn't make sense to do you know eight pigs. Right. Um, so if I was doing that, I would have to take them live to a USDA um, slaughter. But um, but my operation is just custom, um, so it's just state um, state inspected, and we're able to do on-site slaughter at that point. Okay, so uh, I know I just what I just said. I know people haven't heard that interview yet, so uh, this is kind of <laughs> this is where this blows my mind as far as who you what's who's actually going to get hurt first. <laughs> so, right. So in that example, so at that point, you are you are dispatching the pig. Are you doing anything other than just putting it down? Are you are you eviscerating? Are you doing any type of prep? Yeah. So, and it's not, it's not myself that's doing it because then I would have to be um, state inspected in order to do that. Um, so we have a state inspected slaughter truck um, that comes out and they uh-huh. do the kill. Um, so they, they kill um, and then they will eviscerate. Um, they'll cut the pig in half and, and then it will get taken to the butcher shop that'll be doing the cut and wrap from there. Um, one thing, um, you know, if you've got some, some smart listeners, um, if they are, are realizing that this is being done on farm, one thing that we do lose out on um, is that the animals are being skinned and they're not being scalded. So um, so we are losing the skin in that process. That was going to be my very next question. Okay. Yeah, and, and here in West Virginia, I, I, there's not a processor I'm aware of that does a scald and scrape anymore. So, yeah, that's the unfortunateness of having less options. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's quicker and it's more efficient to – to skin them and when time is money that's that's kind of one thing that went out the window so yeah and there's pros and cons of skin on skin off i mean that's that's a whole nother podcast to discuss uh, uh <laughs> the purity of of pig processing skin on or skin off so we'll we'll save that for another date but well that's really interesting so that um that saves uh, so you mentioned uh, transport uh hooks in a trailer so you have i assume a regular livestock trailer that's converted with hooks that they're hanging those halves in, so you've got 16 halves, uh, 12 to 16 halves that go in there? Yeah, that's what, uh, the, yeah, most of the slaughter trucks here are, um, they're either one whole unit, um, you know, so, you know, kind of like a box truck, um, you know, that has a uh, hook and rail system in it. Uh, some of them do have, um, you know, a trailer uh, and then a truck, but, um, you know, basically it's a, some type of box um, type truck or trailer, um, with a hook and rail system. Oh, I see. So they're actually providing the transport to the butcher then. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's all part of the, uh, of what I, you know, pay them for is, um, they get to take, they take away all the, the nasty stuff that I don't want to, you know, or have to bury, um, you know, or compost at my farm. And, um, they also deliver it straight to the butcher. Okay. So is, is that a refrigerated unit as well, or are they just getting there fast enough that they don't have to worry about refrigeration? Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, generally, they're getting there fast enough that they don't have to worry about refrigeration. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, let's. Um, wow. There's there's a lot to unpack there. I'd like to. I want to back up and <laughs> talk about feed, but I also want to talk about your sales setup. So we'll, we'll stick a pin in your sales setup and let's back up to uh, while the animal's still alive. Uh, let's talk about your feed a little bit. What are you, what are you feeding out? Are you doing a commercial commercial blend? Are you mixing your own? Are you have come up with some sort of uh, uh, custom process there? Yeah, we use, um, so we have a certified non-GMO feed that we use. It's no corn and no soy. Um, it is, um, we do buy from a, um, a feed mill um, on the eastern side of the state, eastern Washington. Um, and we've um, been really happy with uh, the feed that they've provided us. Um, 
you know, we get a good uh, good meat quality uh, on the backside, and they seem to grow um, pretty well on the front side. Okay, so so non-GMO, non-soy, non-corn. Um, yep. What's what's your protein substitute then? So uh, triticale is the, uh, and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but I did it with confidence, so I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. Is the uh, is the, the main uh, protein source in there? There's you know some peas um, and everything in there as well, um, but I, I don't have the. Uh, the analysis right up on front of me, um, but that's a uh, 15% protein okay. um, that we're feeding. And your carb substitute for the corn is in that as well? You know, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I should have, I should have had that up on the oh, screen here yeah. so that I, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure, um, sure what that substitute is. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's interesting. So uh, that's, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can almost hear listeners saying, "Wow, I wish I had access to that type of stuff." Because there's, there's definitely people <laughs> that we've talked to that say we'd love to do non-GMO, we'd love to do non-soy, we just don't have any options around here. And I'm, I'm one of those guys too. I have to drive, I have to drive over an hour just to get conventional pig feed. So, um, it's, it's interesting to see what's, what's available, and, uh, and of course, what you can custom order. So, I assume that's a pre-mix, or are you actually? specifying ingredients from that uh, feed mill when they when they produce it. So it's a pre-mix. It's their um it's their own mix. Oh, so it must be a pretty good sized mill then to to be able to specialize like that. Yeah, they uh you know they have other products as well and I'm sure you know they have quite a few um producers that they <clears throat> they ship to um you know and it just gets shipped to me um you know through the trucking company. So in that process with your rotating batches are you buying in large bulk, bulk where you're storing on farm? Or are you buying just uh, you know, kind of lean inventory type of thing? You just get what you need, and it you know the truck's coming on the next day to to, to bring your next load. Yeah, I try. I mean, I try to obviously um, not carry a, a ton. Well, I don't want to say ton because I do carry it by the ton. But um, uh, you know, right now I just I just got in a, a feed delivery last week of two tons of of feed, and that's going to last uh, you. Um, That'll last me, you know, these, um, I've got a couple batches that are pretty young um, yet, so that'll last me, um, you know, probably a month or so, um, and then um, I'll I'll get another two tons coming, and once I start getting towards the end, I, I won't order two tons at a time, I'll just order a ton at a time, just so I'm not, um, you know, have a lot of feed left over that I've got to unload at the end of the season, because I don't have to carry pigs through winter, so... Right, um, I got to get rid of that feed too. Yeah, that, so that's you know, all kinds of questions pop up in my mind there. So, so as you get to your last batch, are mm. you? Um, uh, I assume over these six years, you're getting better and better at, at estimating that. Do you find yourself at the end of the year saying, "Oh wow, I've got half a ton," or "I've got a ton, I really missed the boat on this," or was it one of those <laughs> things where, "Oh wow, I, I need two hundred pounds to finish this out, so I got to scramble to find it." Has that has that run in? Have you run into those issues yet? You know, um, I haven't, I think the most, um, I've had left over was, um, a quarter ton hmm. <clears throat> and I was able to, to sell that, you know, to somebody else that had pigs pretty easily. Um, there's been a couple instances, um, where either, you know, poor planning on my part, I didn't get my feed order in time, or, um, we had an issue where the, the pass was closed. Um, you know, the truck coming from the Eastern side of the state to the Western side, um, was closed so they didn't get my feet on time, and so I had to go and pick up a bag or two. Um, the nice thing about getting feed from um, someone like this is that there are a couple feed stores in the area that carry it. Um, so if I do need to get something in a pinch, I can get it. Yeah. 
You know, that's definitely a Western statement there. You don't hear that a lot on the Eastern seaboard that, uh, the pass was closed. The truck couldn't get through. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely unique to your guys' neck of the woods. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not all flat here. We do have some, some mountains and volcanoes in between. Yes. Yes. All right. So, um, so the feed balance sounds like you've got that nailed down pretty well. Are you diminishing your protein load as you get close to finishing or you just keep feeding out that 15%? You know, I, I keep with the 15%. Um, I used to start them at 18% and then drop them down to 15 uh, And I found that there wasn't really much of a benefit to doing so um, and really just made it easier for my feed orders and, and my management just to, to do 15% throughout. Yeah. So you're seeing pretty accurate uh, finish weights as far as you know, what you want and, and consistent through that process? Yeah. You know, we... We used to finish them out about six and a half months, um, and and I, I switched to seven months just because I, I was able to get a little bit more consistency um, there with that final two weeks. Um, but yeah, they're all you know they're all right in that range that I want them to hit. Very good. Okay, well let's let's move forward now to uh, uh, to sales of of your your pork after you've you've processed. Of course, you you pre-sale, so you you, you know going in. Um, at a certain point, uh, okay, this batch has been sold, or I got a I got a half left or a whole left. Um, how do you how do you handle those pre-sales? Yeah, so we have a, an email list, um, and that's the the first part of my you know kind of marketing um, before I even get piglets. I've, I've generally identified the producer I'm going to get piglets from. Um, I try to have people that I work with on a consistent basis, um, and I will put down half. Um, of whatever they're asking, you know, for let's say seven pigs, um, when they're born, I want to know that I've got those pigs locked in, um, at that date. And so then I'll send out my email to everybody, um, you know, let them know what I've got and, um, have them respond. And at which point I'll get them a deposit invoice. Um, and usually by the time, you know, the eight weeks um, rolls around and I go pick up the piglets, I've got all the, them sold. Um, and, and, Probably ninety percent of the sales right now go come through the email list. Hmm, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big, uh, big proponent of email. There's, uh, there's, there's definitely some people say it's a dead animal, but it, I think it definitely has value, especially for uh, farming communication, pre-sales communication. It does, and and I think if you have people that have shown, uh, you know, that they want your your product, so they've already purchased from you, so you know that they are a customer waiting there for you. You need to have a way to contact them directly, and email is the way to do it. Very good. Okay, well, one other thing you had put in your notes in talking about your sales um, was your flat fee system. Uh, elaborate on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so we uh, we do just a flat fee. So for a half pig this year, it's $550. <clears throat> for a whole pig, uh, you know, there's a discount there, so they're paying $1,000. And... For us, that includes um, everything. That includes the cut and wrap from the butcher. Um, you know, some people out out in this area, because we do on farm slaughter, they'll charge a um, a portion of the slaughter fee. Um, so all of that is included um, in my cost to the customer, um, and it, it makes it really easy for them to understand. This is what I'm paying, and and this is what I'm getting. Um, you know, I let them know um, what the average is. Um, you know, that they'll take home from either a half or a whole. Um, and, and it's usually more than that. I try to undersell and mm. over deliver and that makes everybody happy. 
Yeah, that's always the twenty thousand dollar question: is what do I get for five hundred dollars? Yep. What do I get for a thousand? And and of course, that's that's not a not an easy question to answer. It's not like there's a pat answer in that situation. But it sounds like you know, if you underestimate, it, then right? And it, yeah, it's not. And it, and you you know we always want everybody to be happy, and so you always want to you know sometimes it's just natural for us to say, oh, you're going to get this, and, and that might be pushing it. Um, so you really have to to kind of have a really good understanding of what they're going to get um, and what kind of changes that as well. You know, if they're getting bone out on everything, that's going to change that number. So, um, you know, you just have to be real comfortable in, in laying out that information to the customer in a way that they can understand. Yeah. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like if you've got a lot of repeat customers, then, then they're appreciating that process. I mean, I'd love, I'd love the idea of a flat rate for the convenience side of it. Uh, because I, I find myself spending a lot of time near the end just explaining, okay, here's the hanging weight. It's a certain percentage of the live weight, and then you return meat because of smoking and curing. You get some shrinking. You know, all the things that go along with that and people trying mm-hmm. to wrap their brains around, well, that was a 350-pound hog. How come I only have X amount of pounds of, <laughs> of, of pork bags? So. And, yeah, and it's tough because for each person that's asking that, they're asking it for the first time but you're hearing it for the hundredth time and it's hard to explain it um, in a, in a way that a, they can understand and, and B doesn't sound like you're frustrated exactly. um, because you've had to answer this question so many times. That's as right. Well. They, they can almost hear you rolling your eyes on the phone. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that, that's great. So, um, Hmm. So obviously in that, in that process, you know, um, uh, how, how do you handle, because I know when I get into some custom situations there, I've got you know, a client that says, hey, I, 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 well, I have one client that says, I want an all-bacon pig, which you know, that always is a fun conversation. <laughs> but then, then we have some that say, hey, I want, uh, like I know our processor charges us extra for, for stuffing. So they say, well, I, man, I really want a lot of link sausage. So I find out that their processing fee could be $100, $150 more because instead of just regular bag sausage, they, they wanted, you know, 85 pounds of, of, of sausage right. stuffed. How do you handle those type of things? Yeah, so we do put in the, the email that comes out when we're um, selling these pigs is um, that if they want anything, um, you know, really above and beyond. Um, the examples I use is uh, pepperoni. So if you want pepperoni sticks or summer sausage, um, you know, those are higher priced processing items. Um, and those will be charged, um, you know, directly to them. Um, so, you know, the, just the actual cost. So they would pay me the flat fee. I would get the number from the butcher for the extra processing and then charge them for that. Okay. So I assume on the front end, you're, you're probably getting uh, good faith deposits uh, to, to get people secured and then also help with cash flow. Yeah. So, you know, that's the great thing about the flat fee system is that um, I'll get my deposit that will, um, cover the cost of the piglets and, um, you know, really about the first month of feed that they need. Um, and then um, the customer will pay four monthly payments after that um, of either $100 or $200, depending on a half or a whole. Um, and then that's my, my cash inflow, my um, all my capital, um, you know, for the entire batch. I know that I'm making, you know, 30 to 40% margin on each pig, so I have that money available if I need it. Um, and if I don't, then it's um, all there at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good setup. Yeah, I think that um, I, I like that, and that that intrigues me. I, in fact, I'd like to um, I'd like to digest that a little bit more in my mind, but I won't do it here while we're recording. But uh, I like that <laughs> setup. 
especially if you're explaining here's here's the typical and and you could always have um, some bonus material when, when people realize oh well wow, i got two extra pounds of bacon or i got an extra package because that's another discussion we have too is um, how many packages of bacon am I going to get versus how many pounds of bacon am I going to get? And, and so you find yourself kind of you know, having to, to thread that needle there to say, well, so, you know, sometimes a package isn't always a pound. Sometimes it's a little more. Sometimes it's a little less. And, yeah. So that would definitely free up some confusion there. Okay, well let's um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your processor. In in the past six years, are you are you you've got your on farm butchers that show up and, and dispatch and half, and then you're taking it to uh, to a butcher. Do you have a good relationship with your butcher? Have you have you kind of moved around still in proce- uh, process of trying to find somebody you like? How's that working out for you? No, we um, we love our our butcher. Um, before I I even started this, um, we I went in and I interviewed butchers. So. Um, I had some questions um, for each of them. I went in. Um, the, the people that didn't have time for me, well, I didn't have time for them. So, you know, they were kind of out. Um, and the butchers that did have time for me and, um, you know, were able to answer my questions. Um, those were the ones that I'd, I'd maybe take home some samples from. And then we would, uh, and then we narrowed down the butcher from there. And he's been great to work with. Um, we have a, a good system. It's, I think it's important for us to communicate. Um, back and forth on what's working for each of us um, because uh, it's an important relationship to have. When we first started, he, uh, he mentioned something that, you know, we were using our own cut sheets and it was kind of confusing him a little bit. Um, so we, we started using his cut sheet and, um, you know, kind of worked through that process and it's, and it's worked really well. You know, it's interesting that you say that because that's, that's been our Achilles heel as well. Is, um, I find that our processor's cut sheets are very, very hard for the typical customer to navigate. So, <laughs> right. yeah, being, being the marketing guy that I have, you've got a graphic designer at my disposal. I'm like, hey, let's come up with a real sexy cut sheet. It's going to be super simple. And, man, it looks great. The customers love it. And I turn around and hand it to the butcher. And he's like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, so I find myself transcribing from uh, my cut sheet to his cut sheet to make it work out. And then, of course, that uh, mistake then becomes 100% my responsibility if I transcribe mm-hmm. something incorrectly. So that's good. You're building a relationship where you can uh, you can kind of some, meet somewhere in the middle and make sure you understand their cut sheet and it translates well. That's, uh, that's always a benefit. Yeah. I mean, we have to understand they're running a business, too. And they need to, you know, they want to be able to... Um, bring everything in efficiently, understand it, be able to turn it around and get it out. Um, so, you know, we have to work with them on that as well because um, we need them to work with us. Yeah. So do they offer, does this butcher offer a lot of value added? I know you, you mentioned pepperoni and summer sausage there. Do you have a lot of value added mm-hmm. uh, products there? Uh, you know, they don't do um, a lot, um, which I kind of like. Um, you know, I feel sometimes that if you offer too many choices, mm. um, customers can become overwhelmed or you know, um, it's just kind of a, a bit more of a, of a process. Um, but he does do pepperoni, he does summer sausage. Um, he does uh, breakfast sausage and Italian sausage and, you know, uh, you know, some of that stuff that we, we come to expect. But, um, but, you know, he doesn't do a lot of extra things. So you have to, I would think, and again, you don't have to answer this question, but I think you, you have to run into that. Do you, do you have customers that say, all right, Gavin, please, man, I, I just want two packs of bacon. Just sell me two packs of bacon. Your stuff's great. Everyone keeps talking about how great this stuff is. Do you, do you run into that, and how do you, how do you politely let those people down? <laughs> yeah, so that does happen. Um, you know, usually it's more of people that I know. 
um, you know, that, uh, you know, might see something on Facebook or, or whatever. And, you know, like, Oh, I'd love to buy a package of bacon from you. And, you know, I have to tell them, uh, you know, based on, you know, our state laws and federal state law, you know, federal laws that, um, I'm unable to sell them a pack of bacon, but, um, usually what I'll do, um, in those cases is I'll give them a pack of bacon. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great way for me to get the product in their hands, um, let them try it. And then a lot of times it's so good they'll come back and they'll say, okay, how do I get more? Absolutely. And then we can talk about, then we can talk about getting, um, getting them a half pig, um, and going from there. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I agree. I, there's, there's no better business card than a bacon sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Uh, you know, pork, pork chops or, or bacon, you know, and he, when you think about, and especially for some of those producers that are out there, they're selling USDA inspected meat. So, you know, and they're, they're, they're charging 10.99 a pound, you know, and rightfully so. And so they see, you know, a pack of, of pork chops that's 15 bucks that they're going to hand out to somebody, and they and they think, you know, man, that's it's so expensive for me to just give that to somebody. But you know, that person's probably going to turn around and buy buy more than what you just gave them, uh, and they're also going to tell other people about it. And word of mouth is such a, a big part of our marketing, um, you know, for small scale producers that we really need to to be able to do everything we can to push that. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good point. I think that's a, a something a lot of uh we as producers just we don't capitalize on well and we don't do a good job of explaining um you're really underscoring the bulk buy. So you you've had some bacon, you've had some sausage, it's great and you're like, "Well, I'm not quite sure, you know, they I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with this or I don't eat a lot of roasts or whatever." Whatever, you know, complaint they have about a, a whole or half hog. But then just showing, hey, look, here's here's if if we sold these as individual packets, it would be a ten dollar pack of bacon. But, and I assume in your situation, if I'm doing my math right, you're you're probably what four to four and a half a, a pound on average uh, for your finished product. I assume, right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, so that shakes out pretty great when you say, hey, you can you can buy a half hog or a whole hog and and be four and a half or less per pound of bacon and all this other stuff. Um, and, right. And I think that. When that clicks with a customer, I think they get it and they realize, oh wow, okay, yeah, that's that's a benefit. You know, yeah, and we have, you know, there's plenty of people out there that um, have been fed food that wasn't cooked properly or wasn't grown properly, and and it's resonated with them. I had um, a customer's husband that had pork chops that he had pork chops some sometime in his past that were horrible, and so he doesn't like pork chops. Well, he's never had farm-raised pork chops right. is the problem. And so, you know, I heard this, gave the customer a package of pork chops, told her how to cook it for him, and now he loves pork chops. Exactly. You're going to run into those instances as well, and and it's important to be able to educate people with recipes and, um, you know, whatever we can to help turn that tide from their, their past um, food memories and and really show them what food is meant to be. Yeah, I think it's so so important for we as producers to look at again the tail end of those and look at the opportunity to say, hey, what if we did some tastings? What if we gave away some product samples? What if we had a booth set up where we're we're just offering free samples and all we're doing is taking deposits or even partnering with local restaurants or or you know uh, the the chefs that want to come by and do some farm uh, farm dinners type of thing and say, hey, I'll provide the protein you provide the pre- preparation 
and then be able to cross uh, cross market there. And, and then, like you said, just get people to overcome the stereotype of a pork chop is a real thin white piece of meat that's kind of tasteless. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and we have a lot of memories that are tied to food, good and bad. I still talk about some of the best meals that I've ever had in my life, and, and it's been years since I've had those. And, you know, if we can we can put that quality food that we're all raising in front of them, they're going to remember that, and they're going to want more of it, and they're going to know where to get it. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Gavin, let's talk uh, future. What um, What's the future look like for Dinnertime Farm? Do you have a, a five-year plan, or are, are you looking for massive growth, massive expansion, medium growth, uh, mm-hmm. additional uh, additional polyculture there, other animals? What uh, What do you see coming down the tracks? Well, uh, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it briefly at the beginning. You know, we are we do have a, a plan. Um, you know, the next couple of years will be uh, fairly steady. I mean, as you know, uh, we'll remain at about 22 pigs a year. Um, we'll be taking some of that um, the net profits from there to be um, expanding. Um, so year three through five is where we'll really kind of jump from 22 to the ability to to do 56 pigs. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do 56 pigs. Um, I kind of want to see where the demand leads to um, and and kind of see where my time leads to as well, since I have a full-time job um, off the farm. Hmm. Um, And then we'll uh, continue to add some sheep, um, you know, and we'll use those for meat production um, just as how how well the rest of the grass does. But um, that's really going to be it for us is, is pork somewhere around 56 pigs a year, um, sheep, you know, will be probably between 10 and 20 lambs a year. Okay. Yeah, and that's usually, a, you said something there, that's usually a question asked at the beginning, and I gle- neglected to do so. So you do have an off-farm job. Do you have, uh, you said we a couple times, so I assume you have some uh, family help or some hired help there? <laughs> yeah, um, I have a wife, um, and I have two young children. Um, I say we loosely. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife is a... Uh, uh, it is a we because uh, we live together and we own the house and the farm together. Um, but she's, uh, you know, she takes care of the kids. Um, she's busy with them. So um, I really try to set up a lot of the processes um, in a way that I don't need someone else to um, to come and, and do anything. Um, you know, she's got her own stuff she's got going on, too. <clears throat> so I, I try not to ask too much of her. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, obviously that's great planning, and I think it's very doable. That's what I love about raising pigs. There's there's a lot of opportunity there if you've got the proper infrastructure in place where you can be hands-off, uh, you know, days at a time. Again, it's it's always best to have those touch points daily, but if you find yourself in a situation that you have to be away, then uh, a pig can pretty much take care of himself as long as you've got uh, got the right resources available. Exactly. And, and with my job, uh, not so much now, but, but before I would have to um, go out of town occasionally, you know, two, three, three days at a time. And uh, I knew if I filled up those feeders and filled up that water, um, they'd be good until I got back. Um, you know, usually I'd tell my wife how many were uh, supposed to be in that pen and just ask her to count them occasionally. Right. And, uh, and then we'd be good. Excellent. All right. Well, um, so future plans as well. I, I probably know the answer to this, but I, I, I figure I'm not the only one thinking it. Do you see at any time you ever being a farrowing operation? Are you are you just happy with your model right now? I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, I, actually, I, I get asked that question um, all the time, um, you know, just from people that come visit the farm um, and from other farmers in the area that I talk to, um, sometimes even my wife. 
because um, who wouldn't love to have little piglets uh, running around on the farm? Right. And um, the answer is I do not ever plan to become a farrowing operation. Um, I feel like there's um, a lot of headache um, and a lot of time and a lot of resources that go into that. Um, and if you have one bad farrowing or, um, you know, something happened to a litter, you, you really lose your profits. Um, and that's not something that I want to deal with. Um, so I let other people deal with it. Very good. Yeah, that's, that's a good explanation. We, we farrow on, on our farm and there's times I want to be just like you. <laughs> just want to drop it and walk away. I, I do, I do try to encourage, uh, you know, farrowing uh, operations as much as I can because I need you right, exactly. um, to, pro- to provide piglets for me. If everybody stopped doing farrowing operations, then I don't have anybody to buy piglets from. So, um, you know, I definitely encourage encourage those of you doing it. Um, and I also try to make it easy for you, you know, if I'm working with you to buy piglets from, um, I try to make it as easy as possible for you um, to make sure you have what you need so that, it, you know, you have a reason to keep doing it. Very good. All right. Well, I'll ask you a question that I usually close out with with all of my interviewees, and that is, uh, Gavin, what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? I mean, if anybody says that it's not eating the product, then they're they're wrong. <laughs> that's right. um, because that's got to be the best part of it. Um, you know, and and that honestly is one of my favorite days. Um, not when the pigs leave, but when I get to bring them back home in little white packages exactly. and uh, um, put them in my freezer. Because, you know, not only do I know that I'm getting a quality product and I know how it was raised, um, I also know that I'm taking care of my family um, and providing for them. There's a lot of satisfaction in walking past a full freezer and knowing that the fruits of your labor from the previous year have, have stocked that. And like you said, the the quality you know you're getting, you, you know what was put into raising that meat, you, you have more respect for you know, the source of your food and, and the way your food was raised. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, um, how can people find out more about you? I know we've talked about your Facebook page. You want to give a Facebook shout out there so people can find you? Yes, so they can find us at Dinnertime Farm on Facebook. Um, That's currently the only way to find us, Um, but we do try to be pretty active there, um, you know, posting pictures and, um, you know, providing some education since that's where a lot of our customers um, also find us. Okay, yeah, so uh, for those of you listeners that would happen to be in the Puget Sound area and you would like to buy a whole or half hog from Gavin, then you could obviously go to the Facebook page, send him a message, get on that email list, and uh, get that process rolling there. Well, Gavin, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast and sharing your story with us. Um, maybe in the future, there's I know there's some other topics we didn't get to. We're hitting the 45-minute mark here. Uh, but we'll probably uh, probably have you back on to talk about some of your details with your management and your uh, in your batching process. So uh, if you're willing to do that, we'll get you back on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy helping other producers. And, um, you know, and some of the things I talk about are a little... Um, outside the box for what uh, what normally happens so i kind of if anything i can bring to the table to, to help people i'm definitely willing to do that excellent yeah and that's i mean that that was my motivation for for doing this entire podcast i felt like i was on an island at times raising pigs and thought, man we just you know we need a regular source of input from from people all across the country that have different experience so i just really appreciate everybody that does come on here and appreciate you taking the time to to do this 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, ha- having a podcast to listen to and, and realizing that there's other people out there making some of the same mistakes, um, you know, you are, uh, it helps you feel a little bit better about what you're doing. Um, and also listening to, you know, some people's positive experiences that, you know, can get you through a bad patch also. Oh, it does. I, I found it, I've already found it so motivating for me. I've learned a lot. And, and like you said, that, uh, positive energy coming out of knowing, okay, you know, I'm in a bad slump right now. I can, I can, um, push on through because of talking to these other people and hearing their experience as well. So, well, I, uh, again, I appreciate your time tonight. I'll let you go. And, uh, actually it's not tonight there, right? Cause you're, you're still, you're still, yeah, in the we're, afternoon. we're still in the afternoon. I still got, I, I got to go home and feed some pigs. All right. Well, appreciate your time. <laughs> you, you have a great evening. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Well, I hope you appreciated that and, and uh, gleaned some information from Gavin there. Uh, I'll link below to his um, to his information where you can find his uh, his information. I say below. I'll link in the uh, show description. I get my YouTube syntax and my uh, <laughs> my podcast syntax mixed up. Uh, anyway, somewhere there will be links uh, to Gavin's farm and his information. You guys can check that out. Um, again, if you would like to be a uh, guest on our podcast, or if you know um, uh, someone who I should recommend, reach out to, just let me know. Or if you've got subject matter you think we need to cover, uh, then let me know. We've got some good um, topic-specific interviews coming up here in the next um, month or so. Uh, so I hope you guys will enjoy that as we get into some specifics. Well, um, again... Feel free to give us a, a rating and ranking below. Um, it just uh, helps other people find us, of course. And just spread the news about the Pastured Pig Podcast. Check us out at redtoolhouse.com if you want to know what's going on with us. Okay, take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 